Welcome to another episode of the Speech and Repeat podcast today with Christoph Weiss. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Well, that's a good, Jonathan. Nice speaking to you. Yes, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for um, being here today. I'm actually excited to have this conversation because uh, thematically, um, this is going to be something where my uh, interest has been for the past year um mostly and and you have a lot that you can share because you're in a very interesting industry you're in the vc industry and um you're specifically actually active within the health space so uh, but usually we always start the same so it would be great if you could give us a quick introduction on where you come from who you are what you've done previously and what you're doing today absolutely happy to do that so um first and foremost apparently I'm with Heal Capital. As you mentioned, we are an early stage venture capital fund um, active since the beginning of last year, actually investing into companies which are exclusively at this intersection of healthcare and technology. So it's about companies who are neither nor or both, neither pure healthcare companies, neither pure tech companies, but it's actually bringing both to the table. And that's a very interesting um, topic to work on, not only since March last year and uh, where everybody kind of wait, was made aware of this digital health topic being a thingy and being relevant thanks to the corona crisis, but actually is something which I have been working on for the last, well, I don't know, five to 10 years um, in different roles. I was active as a founder. I was with a different venture fund. Um, I was in consulting and it was always at this intersection of healthcare and technology in different roles, different perspectives. And the, the one thing which was always staggering is that there is no doubt about the opportunity and the importance of the topic, that it is important to all of us for the obvious reasons and that it is, has so much need for change and improvement, which is almost, improvement, which is almost indefinite. Yeah? And at the same time, it seems to be so incredibly difficult to, to, to bring these two things together yeah? because it's two different worlds, the tech world and the healthcare world so far both of them very attractive, very, very specific characteristics, but then again, not really compatible so far. It seems, however, though, this is uh, thankfully changing a bit, particularly in the entrepreneurship scene, because you see also new sorts of founding teams who bring everything together. It's not only doctors or scientists, not only tech guys, but actually it's founding teams consisting out of medics, consisting out of um, second or third time founders from e-commerce companies um, and bringing everything together to change and redefine healthcare as, as we know it. Yeah? So we're currently looking at a mental health company founded by actually a, a couple of ed tech guys who came to the conclusion saying, hey, you know, we're really good at targeting people um, very specifically at the very specific mental state, when to sell them stuff, when to make them click stuff. Why not use this actually to target them with the right mental healthcare treatment with the support of mental health. And that is obviously bringing completely different perspectives and opportunities to the market. And that's why it's such, it's such a great opportunity to invest in these uh, type of companies. Right, yeah. So um, let's, let's kind of start uh, maybe with the basic things or with the more, uh, let's say, um, yeah, basic things here. So in, in regards to what, what, what would you say is kind of the, you know, unique characteristic when it comes to uh, investing or basically being in the space of, of, you know, health tech. So compared to maybe, you know, the B2B SaaS or kind of B2B, B2C um, related, you know, more e-commerce kind of things or the things that most, you know, most startups that we've seen maybe in the last decade. I, I think the, the big challenge is that the overall healthcare system still is and will work 
much different than any other classical B2B system, any classical B2C system. It's not that easy that you say, hey, you know what, you, you build the product and then you push it into the market and then you pivot a bit and then you execute. But it's much more difficult, much more regulated, much more stakeholders to consider, much more regulations, much longer sales cycles. So it's very easy to give up essentially in this space because even once you build a great product, it might take years until you get anywhere. And if you are not really into it for the mission, it's so easy to say, you know what, this is not paying off. I'll even I'll do something else. Yeah. And if you if you try to, to do it and say, hey, we combine the best of both worlds in terms of tech and healthcare, that's great. But you also unfortunately have to consider that you're also combining the, the worst of all worlds, right? Mm-hmm. That you have out of a sudden you have a very agile driven product team who's maybe not taking, I don't know, data protection as serious as uh, any healthcare regulation would require to do. And all of a sudden you build the product, you're out there, but you cannot do anything without it. And you end up dead in the water just because a minor glitch in the development team and that effectively kills your company. So it's just very careful baby steps to be taken, much longer sales cycles. And then if you, if you look at it from a, let's say opportunistic perspective and you compare KPI benchmarks of a classical B2B SaaS company or e-commerce company with a company being active in the healthcare space, most likely and very often you will come to the conclusion that by just looking out of the KPIs, it's very easy to dismiss the healthcare company and say, this was slower, this was more expensive. So this is seemingly less attractive, but then you really have to look deeper and to think about it a bit more to understand that there's underlying reasons and that the company's building a strategic value nevertheless. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's maybe take a, st- a few steps back. So you said like safe cycles are a little bit, let's say longer or longer in general. And so, you know, one, one would actually seem, I, I think, you know, one, in our conversation prior to this podcast, you said actually like you wouldn't, you, you're not taking it, you know, um, kind of as a, as, as, a, as a bad thing here for people to you know, go into B2B SaaS or B2C related uh, businesses because, you know, it's easier or faster to make, uh, you know, money or uh, in, in that regard, obviously taking into consideration that starting a business is always hard and there's always risk to it. But um, so would you, would you in general say, like, if, if, if we look at kind of the landscape, you know, how would you diverse like status quo today, nowadays? What are the categories that you're looking at, you know, in terms of, uh, that that specific industry so i mean generally we we like to look at it from two two angles mainly driven by the patient journey yeah that we try always to come first and they if if you truly want to nail this you have to put the patient which is most of the times the customer here somehow first and really make sure you get the better patient outcome a better patient experience at lower cost eventually, right? And then, so you follow this classical patient journey, which starts somewhere somewhere at prevention and prediction. You're coming over diagnostic, you're getting into treatment, and then you're in some sort of monitoring like that. And that is how we, how we like to, to look at things. Where do companies actually fit and which steps in this patient journey do they enable? Being aware of that, obviously there is no black and white, right? And obviously several companies often combine individual steps And there's also some unbundling happening there with the companies taking out different bits and pieces. But from my perspective, it's always important just to follow how this ecosystem works. And that usually is the patient journey where everything, the payer, the provider, 
are essentially at some point in time centered around. You are actually in a VC firm that is based out of Germany. And uh, you said yourself early stage. So from your perspective at the European market, right? So, and you compare it maybe, you know, to, to, the, to the other players, you know, to the global market, like what is something where, where you see, like, if you take a few steps back and you look at, you know, the pre re recent years or the previous years also, maybe let's say pre-corona and, and kind of, you know, give us a quick summary of that, you know, the things that you've seen there and maybe then, you know, kind of taking the bridge towards, okay, you know, what are the things that you are, that you believe, you know, where you say, see things moving towards to? Absolutely. And I mean, one, the general trend, maybe also zooming out a little bit out of healthcare is that generally we have seen this ongoing digitalization or waves of digitalization of different industries, starting by industries which are a little bit easier to digitize and then step by step moving into the spaces where this turns out to be a little bit harder. So it started in the e-commerce space, then it went to classical B2B SaaS. Then I went to a bit more regulated industry like fintech, eventually also now coming into, into the healthcare space, which probably is the slowest, most regulated and most difficult to digitize area. And if you then zoom in into healthcare again, saying, I guess what we have seen over the last five to 10 years was this first wave of digitalization of healthcare, i.e. the digitalization of healthcare for early adopters. Think of people who are really looking for some sort of digital experience, maybe even starting with these things such as Fitbit, like step counters, right? People saying, I want to measure what I do. I know it's good to do many steps. I want to know there how much I do, how fast I run. I want to track and do some quantified self there. And that evolved a little bit then into other things like Runtastic, sports apps, maybe even ending up in MySugar type of first diabetes products, and then ending in the first step of um, yeah, telemedicine type of solutions, but all of that eventually telemedicine for early, or uh, sorry, digital health for early adapters as the first wave. And what we are now currently in, it's a broader second wave is for me, not only anymore the digitalization for early adapters, but actually the digitalization of the healthcare system for everybody as we know it, right? So there is digitalization in the diagnostic, think telemedicine, there is digitalization in the therapy, think of surgeries where you essentially use x-rays, digitized x-rays to navigate your complicated surgery tools. Think about back-end processes with, which are being automized. But all of it, it's healthcare as we know it. So the actual treatment, the actual processes is not being changed. It's just, just being digitized. And what is the most exciting now, I guess the beginning of the third wave, and I think we are witnessing somewhere the onset there is not only the digitalization as of healthcare as we know it, but actually redefining healthcare as we know it, opening up new perspectives, new opportunities with the help of technology. So think of fascinating companies of Neuralink where you say essentially with the help of technology, we build the brain computer interface to whatever, cure diseases, um, connect humans with computers, eventually load, upload you in the matrix or whatever your, your perspective is there, but really changing healthcare as we know it, which is probably then the most, most sci-fi, but also most uh, exciting topic eventually. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's also something that you don't see a lot, right? I mean, you don't see a lot of examples of Neuralink. I mean, that has probably A to do with because it's really expensive, right? So to do these kind of things, right? It takes a long, 
long long years of of uh, on investments without uh, you know any outcome and also you know with a lot of uncertainty whether things are actually going to move towards something but b also i guess because um and that's actually also something that you mentioned in our conversation prior to the podcast is you were asking yourself like okay why why are those things why don't we see things or more deep tech or more advanced kind of things happening in europe right so what what is kind of the you know what what is the the ingredient that is missing or what is kind of the thing why why we don't have more superior ideas in that regard right beyond just okay you know let's have another consumer app it just seems to be very very difficult thing to do and i hope that uh, well on the first place it's great that we see so much more traction in the health tech scene overall and that there's so much more founders addressing and, and working on these problems but then again it also feels there's still some way to go to um to address the let's say even bigger problems here and after all I guess there is not just that many Elon Musks running around, unfortunately, right? So I guess that would be good and great, but um, it happens that, that this is not too frequent uh, seen here on this planet yet. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But would you like, so if uh, I think there's something that you said is re really interesting. So kind of redefining the system, somebody like you, what do you think of the, the status quo, the current state of, of, you know, the healthcare system, if we compare, let's, let's take, you know, the ones that, the, the one that we have in Europe, you know, I mean, let's let's not just like, you know, let's not dare to go to the US or look at the US system, but let's really take, for example, the one in Germany. So what, what's your opinion on something like that? So huh, good, good, good question. Tough question, right? So I think overall, we have a very decent healthcare system, right? So we have overall very good access to very decent healthcare um, at scale to almost all parts of the population at very manageable costs and virtually everybody has access to healthcare. So I guess if, if you look at this, the bar is relatively high and we can be very happy with the health firm system. Having said that, I guess there's two big challenges. A, cost-wise, it's not sustainable the way it is, right? I mean, we see the challenges we have in terms of rising insurance costs and costs for treatments are getting uh, rising and rising and hospitals are struggling big time and there is no very obvious solution to that right and sooner or later you we are facing these almost mainly ethical and moral discussions now more often in the news right if any drug is being um uh, cleared by the fda but saying you know this thing might save your life but it costs you a million what what do you do with these things and we see this more and more often and it's just nothing which the obvious healthcare system can can deliver and can can provide for. So I guess we have a huge challenge, similar as in the general retirement plan and and care system. Same same issue there, right? So the the big opportunity at the same same when we have there, I think, is that we need and have to to shift the system from curing the sick to keeping people healthy and. Yeah. I mean, it's always often referred to as this magic word longevity, right? Which is then always interpreted as you will live forever. But actually, it's, I think, not as science. It's not as crazy as it sounds, but it's rather how do you actually start to treat diseases before they occur? And essentially, the big cost topics are the big age-related diseases in terms of cardiovascular diseases, in terms of cancer, yeah. in terms of diabetes. So, and, and eventually, we will need to find a way to, to keep people healthier 
for for the good of everybody for for everybody's personal sake but also for the healthcare system and to make this bearable one way or the other and i guess once this pandemic will be over we will see big challenges even bigger challenges with respect of the financing of the healthcare system because where where's the money coming from yeah yeah, exactly. But I, I think that the picture is a little bit like if, if we zoom out again, right? I think don't we have like the wrong KPIs when it comes to, for example, um, you know, the actual treatment. So if you think hospitals, etc., right? Think that, you know, what is it like running a hospital? What, what is it about, right? You, you mentioned a word which is on scale, but right, that that's exactly the thing, right? So the KPIs are how many operations you have, right? How many, how many people do you get through 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 certain treatments through uh, in in the quickest time possible, right? So quality of care also is is is, is obviously uh, especially if you think it's exactly what you said, right? So first of all, prevent people from becoming sick, right? And second of all, if they then are sick, right? If it's inevitable, right? That that they are actually they they get into the state where they need treatment, that you then can make sure and that you that your system is built in a way that that treatment also is quality is, is really of, of, of a certain quality, right? And that you make sure that, you know, that treatment actually is, is you know, is, is helpful, you know, and not just like, you know, we're, we're doing this because it's a it's a KPI that we're working on. Yeah, I, I agree. So that is what so it's about the incentives as well. But I don't think this just fixes also the underlying problem that just, you know, even if if you had for every patient, for every person, the world's most efficient care at the right point in time, I think we would still see the same the same problem based on the aging population, which then inevitably will more or less lead to these problems. Having said that, I mean, it's about this topic about value-based care eventually, right? A little bit less fee-for-service and a little bit more um, fee-for-outcome. And I, I read recently, I really liked that apparently in back in the days in ancient China, there was usually a, a local medic for a specific village. Mm -hmm. And he was compensated for um, the, how healthy the people are. So he got less money the more this the, the more sick people were than in in the village right and i guess this is the same the same mindset i'm not sure what kind of weird incentives this then essentially led to that maybe i don't know some people who got sick vanished out of a sudden one way or the other who knows about that yeah but um i mean i, I pretty much like the idea and still i guess everybody can still feel and realize once you go to your GP and your local doctor, it's not the ideal world of healthcare, right? It's not that every doctor has the time to yeah, exactly. take an hour to really understand you, to really look into this, but it is eventually mass production. And I think it's, what is it? Six minutes per typical consultation per doctor. It's not, it's not a lot of time yeah. to take care of your health. It's, it's crazy. I mean, if, if, if you start to observe that, like you, you really notice that, right? Like back, like when I was, when I was younger, I, you know, you know, you never, you never really think about that, right? You just go in, right? And, and you just like, okay, you know, there's like some guy or uh, some, someone going to come in and then basically do something, you know, like, mm -hmm. but you never like pay attention to the actual process. I, I remember like two, two years ago, I got, I got uh, surgery and, uh, on, my, on my nose, basically, you know, and it was like a regular surgery, basically. And um, before that, right, so like the appointments that I had before that, I remember like 
observing the doctor, you know, when, when a woman basically coming in, like how quick things were going, right? And it's basically, she was just like running into the room, basically, okay, like three, four, five minutes max, right? And then like running out and then going to the next one. And that like for hours, like if you think about it, it's crazy. And that's for hours. And I think you, you start to realize that in particular ones, you don't have a obvious problem anymore, right? So I think we are pretty good at treating standard topics in terms of this, this is a broken arm we can fix it. Yeah. This is a broken nose. We can fix it. You have X, you need the medication Y. Yeah. But then there is so much more where it's more systemic topics. Yeah. Where it is a combination of problems. It's some sort of chronic yeah. onset of some sort of disease. And it's a combination of maybe a mental problem, a um, problem with the intestines, gastro area, what have you. It may be something else where there is no easy fix. That is where, where I think the system then really is being stretched and where the incentives are not, are not made in the right way because essentially it's, getting, it's becoming a stretch for the doctor to treat you in the right way according also to his economic boundaries. Right? It's not that doctors can freely choose to say, yes, I now spend two or three hours with every patient. It's just going to be difficult for them. Yeah, that's a very important point that you're mentioning here. It's like, uh, you know, if, if you said, like, it's never just one-dimensional right? It's never one variable. It's always, it's always complex, right? There's multiple things that come together and which, which basically, you know, underlie on different types of expertise. And for that, in our current system, we don't even have the, you know, a, an information, a proper information sharing system, right? Think about like all the different doctors that you had in your life, right? From, from childhood on and like all the different, all the different data that has been collected on you, right? That has that that always stay with that particular doctor, right? And that those things are not being shared. So actually, one of the topics I think would be cool to talk about is actually this notion of personalized, right? There's, and in, in, in the whole startup world, when, when it comes to health or digital health or whatever that is, it's always about personalized, right? The, the, that is kind of the key topic, right? And that's also kind of the holy grail. So what is your take on that? Like, how do you, Ob, ob, like try to objectively look at that and, and, and judge upon that. You mean with respect to potential investment decisions but, or? Yeah, potential investment decisions because maybe to go a little bit in depth so that you, that you get a bit better picture of what I'm kind of like looking here for is if you think about it, right? So there's, a, there's really a, a lot of different startups which are looking at certain things like from one perspective right for example they take a specific disease right or they take a specific organ or whatever that is right and so they, they look at that specific uh, specific area and they and their and, and the approach that you see and in, in startups is always kind of personalized personal if you think about it it's just it's it's always one dimensional right so if you think about you have like all these like bunch of startups and imagine like each of them is either taking on a specific, like one particular problem or, or organ, right? How do you get the bigger picture in total? So how do you judge upon that? Like, for example, as an investor on that personalized component, because if it's just a particular disease or a particular problem, how big is the value for the overall value chain? I mean, if you have this very particular topic, yeah, let's say someone is addressing, uh, I don't know, fat liver, like Nash type of problems. Right. I think that there it's relatively easy to judge in that sense that you know what the, the order of the magnitude of the problem is, how often does it occur, and what is there in current type of treatments, and then you can just, I mean, you need to come to the conclusion, whatever the startup or the company is developing, how much conviction and belief do you have that they will actually 
you know, show that they can deliver a superior outcome by whatever they're doing. Yeah? Yeah. I think the bigger problem is, and, and that is what we are more looking at, is um, if someone is providing more systemic solutions, yeah, saying it's not about this very, very micro solution where it's about just does this work or does this not work, but rather how does this work? Yeah? Um, what is the right approach? And nobody knows there, for example, um, if you look in the future of medicine, how will the, the, the treatment of GPs in the future look like? How to make sure that all the different symptom checks, diagnoses, data points are used and are being considered that maybe different perspectives from different um, uh, treatment areas are considered. And I guess this is the more, the more difficult part because nobody knows exactly what the route will be of the future. And then eventually, I guess, what we are looking for is two things. Is there truly a big unmet patient need? So is that something which patients are really looking for to solve? Either for, you know, let's say risk or a life or death type of situations. I mean, then it's very obvious. Or whether it is something which just is a huge pain in the daily life. Yeah. yeah. And then it's pretty much also about the team setup. Do we believe in the team that they have the, the mission, the right view, what they're actually doing? Do they understand what they need to watch out for? What, how the general healthcare systems roughly works? Which levers they will need to pull in order to identify, identify key opinions leader, to get along with reimbursement, how to play the, the system, not in a negative way, but how to pull the different levers, so how the system works. And then eventually we need to, to trust them. Yeah, and eventually it's a question of trust. Will they figure out the way? Because it's almost never at the stage of the company we invest that they have figured everything out. It's probably rather they have their vision, they have their mission. They have very first proof of concepts that there's something there, that it's working. Their first customers are using it, are paying for it, but it's far from being done. You know, ultimately, most of most of the things that you see, so either like in when it comes to the application, if somebody claims that they're developing novel algorithms specific to some sort of domain, you know, and require obviously certain domain knowledge to, you know, give context to the data at hand, and then on that basis develop algorithms, right? Or you have some sort of digital application, whatever the product ultimately looks like. Obviously, um, in that space, the, the the valuations of companies always, or not always but to a large degree are also dependent or based on the data that is, that is available, right. Or that is being created. So, and I always think that that might be, or in, in that context, actually, that that is quite a challenge, right. So that it's actually getting, first of all, maybe significant amount of data and also qualitative data is, a, is, a, is, is quite a challenge. So um, from your experience, how do you, how do you see that actually, being tackled like uh, would you agree or yeah uh, absolutely so i would absolutely agree so i mean we looked quite a bit at the radiology space for example right there so there's many companies saying we provide some sort of algorithm automatic yeah. diagnostics for breast cancer screening for i don't know diff all, all, all sorts of different kinds and generally i mean most of the times we would uh, we, we would not invest in a single trick pony algorithm, right? So even if the company figured out now, this is the world's best algorithm for X, 
-hmm. that will be only be true for so long. So it's much more the question, is that a sustainable advantage you guys developed so that you will be able to continue to, to improve this algorithm so that it will stay the best one or alternatively or even better expand this into other areas. And then what do you do with this algorithm? How do you sell it? How make you money with it? Yeah. And about the data point, it's I think it's a key component, how to get structured data, how to get annotated data, because it is um, so incredibly important also for the efficacy of your actually algorithm. Um, and then again, also particularly in, in radiology and healthcare, I think we are still learning so much how to actually build good algorithms, right? I guess a couple of years ago, everybody st thought, so this is done now. So radiologists are not needed anymore. <laughs> Turns out this is not the case. And we are getting smarter and smarter that we will need to start from, there is not one algorithm to rule them all. Even if you look at, I don't know, breast cancer screening, right. but then you need to um, actually differentiate. You need an algorithm for, for Caucasian people, for Asian people. Yeah. Then it turns out actually, you know, for different hospitals with different machines, the differences, the variety between the results of the machines might differ so much that you need locally federated adapted algorithms so that you get the right results. Yeah? yeah. And then again, this is still the easy stuff, right? So this is still, I don't know, screening of breast cancer. Then again, we have so much more complicated things when you say there is a ongoing cancer treatment where you track 30 different tumors and the development over a period of six months, how they develop, if they get bigger, smaller, how they develop. Yeah. This is where it gets really complicated. So that, you know, having the data is great and is important, but then again, it's much more difficult to say, how will you continue using these data as a sustainable competitive advantage in the future? How will you make, how would you get access also to data which you don't have at the moment, right? Because most, most of the time at the moment, startups often have initial partnerships with big hospitals, with some radiologies and say, listen, we have this data set of, I don't know, X thousand structured annotated data, which is a great starting point, I guess. And it's always good if you have something like that to start with. And then most of the times it's about having coding contracts that what the, in this case, radiologists that they feed something back to the system once they annotate something so that you have this data flywheel, which is a good good thing to, to watch out for and to look out for. Um, but it also does not solve the problems, right? And I guess there's this Israeli company, Zebra, I think it's called, who for sure I think was the most funded, most advanced company developing medical imaging um, algorithms. And I still believe there are the most ones, but also they are struggling big time, not only to the ex with respect to the explanatory power of, of these algorithms, which is the tech solution, this is a tech problem, right? right. But the question is then again, what do you do with this? What's right. the application? What's the money way to, to make money with that in healthcare system? How to get it reimbursed? Who, where, where is it integrated? Why should doctors use it? Do they have the incentive to use it given that most of the, of the algorithms are by me, no means better than the radiologist, but rather take out the variability and make sure you are on par with good radiologists. But it's not that they are better yet. Absolutely. It's a funny thing, right? You, you kind of see for every, I always joke a little bit around that, you know, for every kind of cancer type, you see a startup that is, is saying that they have um, 
that one algorithm <laughs> to 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 you know recognize that specific type of cancer so it's a little bit at one point you know then you, you think about okay that's a little bit ridiculous right so um you know i i agree it, it takes way longer time you know also always this this notion of you know what you also mentioned is like yeah you know you, you don't need radiologists anymore well guess what you know you need expert knowledge right you, for annotating things <laughs> so and and if, absolutely if, and you're not at that stage that you have like, I don't know, an, an image net type of data set, right? With uh, that absolutely is gonna transform your uh, entire, um, an, an entire uh, uh, recognition algorithm. So it's, it's, it's a little bit ridiculous, uh, especially if you think about, right? Some of the richest data sets, right? Or that, that maybe are open source, such as the UK Biobank, you know? I mean, what is the sample size there, right? And compare that please to the, to the digital, AKA social media world, right? It's, it's, it's a completely different sphere. And I think oftentimes people are a little bit, you know, too quick with their, with their judgments and their excitements to things. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, maybe to wrap this up kind of as a last question here. So if, if we look a lot, I mean, it's, it's, it's very weird times. Uh, also, I mean, we were both based in Germany. So kind of taking the look for the perspective as a European in regards to how things are developing with Corona, et cetera. But I mean, at some point, let's say, I mean, we're all positive people. Um, things are going to turn better. And so in, in your perspectives, like how are you looking at, at, your, at your domain, right? So what are the things that you're looking towards to in the future? What do you think... Uh, where do you see things moving? I think the, the very positive thing is there's so many things moving across the board. So I think the dynamic could not be more positive across all the areas. I don't see any area in the health tech space which is not booming. I guess the one um, big opportunity is we have here in Europe that the large healthcare platforms, the new ones, which might be provided by new players, have not been built. And maybe this time some of them will be built also from europe and i think this is the big opportunity here yeah yeah so i guess to put also as in the, the little bit the grain of salt which is always here we see these dynamic funding rounds in particular also still in the us now also happening in particular in germany and the europe having said this what we have not seen yet in in europe is the corresponding exit sizes in the health tech space exactly yeah? so that is the thing which has to follow suit yet and by definition, obviously, I'm bullish that the opportunity will be there and or that the European companies, once they are successful, also might then just uh, be the winners also in, in other markets like USA or, or, or maybe Asia. Yeah. Um, and that is, I guess, the, the big opportunity in the race, which is going on. And um, yeah, glad that this ecosystem is maturing. Also more and more dedicated funds such as here Capital are coming up, fostering this ecosystem, building this ecosystem. So I don't think there has so far any better time than there's never been a better time in history to build and start a health tech company. Funding is there. Openness is there. Digitalization is pushing there. So in that sense, um, I think it's uh, very exciting and great times. Thanks, Chris, for being on the show. It was really cool talking to you. Thank you. Likewise, it was a pleasure.